Welcome to another expression tutorial. Andrew here again, and today we're going to do something kind of exciting. We're going to make stuff move, and we're going to make stuff move with what are called continuous animations. Continuous animations are a lot of fun. You can essentially use a continuous animation to create any kind of looping continuous effect on an object. So if I want something to continuously spin, or I want it to move back and forth, or I want it to fade up, fade down, etc. I can do that all with continuous animation. And, and the beautiful thing about this is it allows you to create a lot of really interesting, um, nice looking looping effects without having to rely always on video clips. You can do it all in real time, all in three dimensions and expressions. So we're going to get into it. Um, if you've watched the object manipulation tutorial and the materials uh, tutorial, you're going to be well prepared for what we're going to cover here in continuous animation. If you haven't watched those two tutorials, I recommend that you watch them so that you'll understand some of the other concepts that we're going to talk about in this particular lesson. So uh, just make sure that you've got a good base of knowledge so that all of this stuff makes sense. Alright, so continuous animation. Continuous animation is a property that you'll find on virtually every object that you create in expression. So every primitive, every 3D model that you import, every text object that you create, every light, camera, they all have a continuous animation property that you can use. All right, so we're going to start off. I'm just going to make a cube. And we're going to go ahead and apply a continuous animation to it. So here's my cube object. If you look in the object manager, I have cube one. There it is. If we navigate over to the object inspector and we move to our right, you will run into a tab called the continuous animation tab. So you will find this tab, like I said, on every object that you build in expression. All right, so here's our continuous animation tab. Um, continuous animation is separated into tracks. So we make tracks. These tracks can affect objects um, in different ways. And you can combine tracks together. So if you want to create uh, an animation that affects more than one axis, well, then you'd go ahead and make more than one track. So I'm going to start off by making a new track. Here's my new track, and you'll see it down here in the continuous animation um, track list. Now, I've applied this track, so theoretically, my object should be doing something right now, but it's not. And we can't see it doing anything in the viewport, and there's a reason for that. Inside your viewport, um, there's a little button up here at the top. It looks like a blue diamond that has like a little waveform icon on it. Well, that's the show or hide continuous animations and other effects button. You can also turn that on or off by hitting F12 on your keyboard. So if I click this button, you'll start to see my cube move back and forth. Right? This movement is being dictated by this track of continuous animation that I've applied to the object. All right, so there's a bunch of different information displayed to us in the track of continuous animation that I've created. The first one being the waveform type that I'm using. The waveform in this particular case is a sine wave. So it's a forwards reverse loop. And if you want to see a visual representation of that waveform, you can see it down at the far right hand side. Or if you want to see things in a different arrangement, you can actually move these columns around. So if I want to have the graph right next to the waveform type, I can do that. So there you go. You can put them right next to each other. So this graph represents the sine wave that I've applied to this object. Um, and you'll see that it's a forwards reverse loop. And I have these curves in the graph, which are creating those acceleration and deceleration effects that you're seeing. It comes to a soft stop, and then it ramps back up to speed and then slows down again. Again, dictated by the waveform type that I'm using. All right, your continuous animation can also be in two different modes. It can be symmetric, or it can be asymmetric. So 
something that is symmetrical is equal on either side, right? So if we're looking at our graph, you'll notice that we have an equal amount of movement on either side of this baseline in the center. So this line represents basically zero, or the center of your animation. And then the peaks in this graph represent the distance that we're traveling on either side. So this is a symmetrical animation. We move an equal amount, positive and negative, in this particular case. If I switch to asymmetric, we only move in one direction. Right? We're only moving on the positive side of the graph in this particular case. One important thing to remember is if you're using a symmetric animation, whatever movement you're doing inside your scene is actually doubled. So think of whatever the pixel movement or rotation value that you apply and double it because technically you're doing it twice, symmetrically. Okay, so important to remember how the mode um, affects the graph and waveform type that you're working with. Next is the channel. So the channel that you're using is going to dictate what attribute of the object you're affecting. So in this case, my cube is moving back and forth using position X, right? It's horizontal positional axis. If I change this, right, we can click on this channel and we can change it to position Y. It'll start moving up and down. We can change it to rotation Y. It'll start spinning back and forth on its vertical axis. Um, we can do alpha, which will affect the transparency of the object. We can do texture position um, as well, which texture position is actually really cool because we can move the surface, the material that we've put on the object using a continuous animation without moving the object itself. So that can be a pretty powerful tool. And we'll talk about texture position in a future tutorial, but just remember that you can, you can affect that too with uh, continuous animation. So, all right, we'll leave this at position X. If I go to the next column, which is my amplitude, and I start increasing the amplitude, I'm increasing the distance that I'm traveling. And it depends on the channel that you're affecting. In this case, I'm affecting position X. Therefore, my amplitude is pixels how many pixels I'm moving in either direction. And since it's symmetric, if I set my amplitude to 250, that means I'm moving 250 pixels in one direction, and I'm moving an equal 250 pixels in the opposite direction. So that's a symmetric value. Okay, so remember that. If we're asymmetric, we're only moving 250 pixels. If we're symmetric, we're actually moving 500 pixels. It's that value times two, all right? Amplitude offset. So your amplitude offset dictates how much of the movement you're creating is on the positive or negative side of the graph. So if I'm moving 250 pixels in each direction and I op offset the amplitude by positive 100 pixels, you'll see that the graph actually moves up. And I have a smaller amount of movement now on the negative side and a much larger amount of movement on the positive side. So if I were to offset the amplitude by 100, that would mean that I'm moving 350 pixels in one direction and only 150 pixels now in the other direction because I've offset by 100. You can also do negative offsets. So if I want to offset it more to the other side, instead of using 100, I would say negative 100, and that's going to reverse the offset. So now I'm moving more on the negative side than I am on the positive side. Pretty straightforward. All right. Next to your amplitude offset, you've got your phase offset. So the phase offset allows you to adjust the timing. And if you notice, if I take the phase offset and start adjusting this value, it moves the graph laterally on this timeline that we see here in the uh, continuous animation tab. All right. Essentially, I'm just offsetting when the peaks and valleys of this animation take place. So what would I use that for? Well, maybe I have more than one cube. Maybe I have more than one object doing the same thing, but I want to create a sort of random effect, right? So here's cube one. 
I'm going to take this cube and I'm going to copy and paste it. So I'm going to select the object in my object manager. I'm going to hit Control C, Control V to copy paste. Here's my second cube. They're both doing exactly the same thing. Now, if I want them to appear as though they're animating out of phase with one another or in a different timing, I'm going to go to my second cube, go to its continuous animation, and offset the phase. Again, they're both doing exactly the same animation, but I've now offset the timings from one another, so they're moving opposite to one another. Right? So that's how easy it is. Right? We, we copy the object, continuous animation goes with it because it's a property of the object. Okay. Next to your phase offset, you have a value called cycle. So your cycle essentially dictates the speed, but it's important to understand what cycle represents. So cycle is how many frames it takes to complete one cycle of this continuous animation. So one cycle of my continuous animation would be one forwards and reverse movement. Okay, because I'm doing a symmetrical position X animation, it's one full movement to the left and one full movement to the right and then back to the center. That would be one cycle. So if I decrease the value, I'm saying I want to take fewer frames to complete that same movement. So a 100 frame cycle is going to make my object go faster and a 500 frame cycle is going to make my object go much slower. Right? The more frames we add to the timeline, the more we essentially stretch this animation. You can also insert pauses. So if you go to the pause value and you start to insert a pause, you'll actually see on the graph a little flat spot, a little flat spot starts to develop on the, uh, on the graph itself. And that's a little pause that we're, we're introducing. And whatever the number is inside the pause column is how many frames of pause you're inserting into this particular continuous animation. And you can adjust when that happens by moving the phase offset. Right, which is going to change when that continuous animation pause takes place. Okay, so that's the basics behind continuous animation. Now what can you do with continuous animation, you might ask? Well, there's all sorts of stuff you can do. The classic example, the exercise we often get students to do with expression is we make a solar system. Now of course this isn't going to be to scale, but we'll do our best. So, and it may not be scientifically accurate, so you know, if, if any of this seems incorrect, if any of you are, you know, amateur astronomers, um, please don't clog up the forum with your complaints. I'm not a physicist. But anyways, I'll do my best. So we'll copy and paste. Here's sphere one, and this is going to be my sun, right? So that's my sun object. Sphere two is going to be my earth. And then I'm going to have sphere three, which is going to be the moon. Ooh moon. Alright, so I'm going to take these objects and I'm going to offset them from one another. So I'm going to move my earth over here and I'm going to make it much smaller. So I'm going to change the diameter. It's a pretty hot day today on earth for that close to the sun, but that's okay. It's almost winter time here in Canada, so we can use a little bit of heat. So here is our moon. I'm going to make this a little bit bigger. That's a little small. Okay. And we'll shift this over, and we'll make the moon a little bit bigger too. Now I'm going to apply some materials to these objects just to make things a little bit more realistic. And through the magic of television, I already have the appropriate textures. Of course I do. I prepared in advance. So we're going to go ahead and make a new folder. And this is going to be textures. 
and I'm going to make some new materials. So a new material, this one's going to contain my earth texture, which conveniently I have inside my project folder. So if we go to C, projects, and we go find my test project, here it is, and we go to the images folder, oh look at that, I've got my earth texture. Perfect. Excellent. So there it is, and we're going to apply that to our Earth sphere. So there's our little planet Earth. I'm also going to make a corresponding moon texture, so new material, new texture, and we're going to use the moon, and we're going to apply that to the other sphere. So here's our moon, here's our Earth, and the sun, well, we're just going to make it yellow. So we're going to make a new material. We'll make sort of an orangey, yellowish thing going on here. Here we go. And we'll apply that to our sphere. So here's our sun, our earth, and our moon. Now, if you remember back to the tutorial where we talked about object manipulation, we talked about moving pivot points on objects. Now, this becomes really important, especially when you're trying to set up this simulation, because I need to get the moon to orbit around the earth, which means it can't spin around itself. It needs to spin around a different point, which therefore means I must move its pivot point to a different location. Also, when the Earth travels around the Sun, the Moon travels with it, right? The Moon orbits the Earth as the Earth orbits the Sun. So in order to get this object to follow this object, what do we have to do? Well, we're going to have to create some grouping relationships inside our scene. So step one, I'm going to take my Moon and I'm going to make it a child of the Earth, like this. So here's my Earth, here's my Moon. I'm going to take the Moon, I'm going to go to the Transform tab, and I'm going to move the pivot so that it's roughly in the center of the Earth. Now a good way to make sure that your pivot is directly in the center of another object, especially an object that's apparent, well there's a really easy way to figure this out. I'm going to put the pivot back to where it was originally. Whenever you make an object a child of another object, its position is then calculated relative to where the parent object is. So my Earth is at 1489 on the x-axis, and my Moon is at 121, but not 121 in the viewport. It's at 121 pixels away from its parent. So if I need the pivot point to be exactly in the center of my Earth, well then how much do I need to offset the pivot? Well, I need to offset it by 121 pixels, right? Because if we're center to center 121 pixels away, the opposite of that would be negative 121 pixels. So I'm going to go to my Moon. We'll go to our pivot position, the x value, and we'll say negative 121, and you'll see it pops it right into the center of the Earth. Perfect. Excellent. So now we're going to apply a continuous animation to our moon. So we'll go continuous animation, new track. This time it's going to be rotation y, and you'll see that it starts to rotate around the Earth. And if you look at the top view, you can see that rotation even better. But because of the waveform type that we're using, it goes forwards, and then it goes backwards, which is not what I want. I need a continuous rotation in this particular case. So I need to change what waveform I'm using. I need to switch it from a sine wave to what's called a sawtooth. A sawtooth is linear. So when I use a sawtooth, we travel in one direction at a constant speed, and when we hit the end of our animation, we snap back to the beginning. So if you look at my rotation, it's going to hit a certain point, and then it's going to snap back to the start point. So we still have to make a few more adjustments here. We have to change our amplitude. There's 360 degrees in a circle. So if my amplitude is only 100 degrees, I'm not making a full circle, right? So therefore, point A does not match point B, which is why we don't get a nice looping effect. So I'm going to change my amplitude to 180. 
and you'll see that we get a continuous 360 degree rotation. And again, you might be asking, well, why didn't you type in 360? Well, because we're using a symmetrical continuous animation. So remember when we were talking about symmetry with continuous animations, your amplitude is effectively doubled in a symmetrical situation. So 180 plus 180 is 360. I'm going from negative 180 to 0 and 0 to positive 180 because it's a symmetrical animation, 360 degrees. All right, so there we go. We've set it up. Now we need to do the exact same thing for the Earth. So I'm going to go and make uh, my Earth orbit around the Sun. Now, to add a little extra level of complication, I'm also going to get my Earth to spin while it orbits the Sun. So how can I get the Earth to spin while also orbiting the Sun? It only has one pivot point. So somehow I have to manage to give the Earth an extra pivot point. So there's a little trick for doing this. What we're going to do is we're going to make a group object. So we're going to insert a group. I'm going to call the group object Earth and Moon. And I'm going to take this group object that I've already created and I'm going to drop it into this group. So now I have three levels in my object tree. I've got my group object, which is Earth and Moon. And you'll notice that it's centered its pivot is in the center of my scene. My Earth, which has its pivot in the center of itself, and then the Moon, which has its pivot anchored on the center of the Earth, and the Moon is a child of the Earth, and the Earth and the Moon are children of this group object. Alright, so now we're getting a little bit more complicated with the object tree, but what this effectively allows me to do is I can apply a continuous animation to this object, my group object, and I can also apply a continuous animation to my Earth object. And I don't have to go through that whole process of creating these again. You can copy and paste your continuous animations. So if I go to the moon and I right click on this animation track and copy it, and then I go to the earth and I paste it, there's my earth spinning. All right, so that's perfect. We've got the orbit of the moon and we've got the earth spinning. Everything looks good. Now we're going to go to our group object and we're going to paste the exact same continuous animation. And now we have an orbit because our group object is anchored in the center of our scene, the Earth is spinning around its own central pivot point, and the Moon is spinning around its pivot that's been displaced to the center of the Earth. So that was pretty fast. But I took the exact same continuous animation, pasted it on three different objects, and got three completely different effects, all by moving the pivot points. All right, so you might still be asking, well, what is an actual practical purpose for continuous animation? Because I don't make a lot of graphics that have a solar system in them, um, as cool as this might be, right? Well, this is a good way to get an idea of how the whole mechanism works and how the whole principle of continuous animation applies to expression. But let's say I want to do something like a lower third, and that lower third has a flare a lighting effect that moves back and forth. Most of those effects that you're going to see in a real-time render engine like Expression are going to be texture-based. So I'm going to make a quad object and I'm going to go find myself an image to use as a banner. Something that is banner-ish, I guess would be the technical term here. So we're going to go find ourselves something like this and we're going to apply it as a material to our quad object. So here's my lower third banner. There it is. It's just an image, you know, something we've made in Photoshop or After Effects or whatever, and I want to use that as an asset in my scene, so here it is. I'm going to make another quad. Let's name this one first. This is going to be called Banner. 
and we're going to go and make another quad. This one's going to be called Flare. Flare. And I'm going to go make another material. This one's going to contain some kind of flare-looking image, some kind of sparkle or you know, some sort of light effect that I want to use um, on this particular object. So let's see what we've got here. I'm sure I have something that'll look halfway decent. Let's grab this one. Let's grab our gold flare. So here it is. Okay. And we're going to apply it to our object. So here's our flare material. Of course, because it's an object, we have control over the height and the width and all of those attributes. So I'm going to make this a little bit smaller. So let's adjust the height. And because I'm using this as a material, I can also change the way that this looks. If I want to add some more color or I want to brighten it, well, I can start adjusting the different color channels, right? So we'll make it a little bit brighter. And I also want to add some red because I want this to match my banner a little bit more. So I'm going to introduce some red with the emissive color on this layer. That looks okay. All right, so there's our flare. Let's scale it down. And let's place this object right on top of our lower third banner. And I'm just going to position it slightly in front on the z-axis. So there's our lighting effect that we've applied to our quad. Now because these are separate objects, right? I can obviously animate them and control them independently of one another. I'm going to make the flare a child of the banner, like this. And then I'm going to take a continuous animation and apply it to the flare. So we're going to grab our flare object, we're going to go to continuous animation, and let's put a track of continuous animation on there and we're going to adjust the amplitude so it moves a little bit farther. So now we've got this lighting effect that's moving back and forth on the top of our lower third, right? Let's increase the amplitude a little bit more and let's slow it down. Let's change our cycle to maybe 600 frames so it slows down that effect. Now, because you can apply more than one track of continuous animation to any object, I can also introduce another effect. So we can go and add another track and this time I'm going to do the alpha. So we're going to affect the alpha channel on this particular object. And again, I'm going to stretch the cycle out. So now I've created this fading effect. So now it sort of ramps up in opacity and is moving back and forth across my lower third and then it's going to fade back down again um, at a certain point. And we can adjust the phase offset um, and the cycle to get it timed exactly the way we want it to. But it should start fading down as it tracks back to the left. Right, so maybe we can have that cycle value to 300 and we'll get a little bit higher frequency on this particular animation. So that's a little bit more of a practical application for continuous animation, but really your imagination is the limit with this. I mean, we can use it for backgrounds, you can use it for these lighting effects like I'm showing you right now. You can create your own solar system. Maybe you can add a few extra planets to your solar system. It's up to you, but uh, have fun with it. Because continuous animation is a super powerful tool inside of uh, expression. And we'll definitely be covering some other attributes and some other things that we can accomplish with continuous animation in future tutorials. So have fun with it, experiment, and uh, until next time, we'll see you later.